Cheers, Santa. How are we doing today? We doing well? Yeah, it's good to see you guys. My name is Jared. I'm the campus pastor at Newbreak Scripps Ranch. It is so good, so good to be here. I grew up in this building, by the way. It's pretty fun to be back here. And so I'm excited to be joining you today. Um, and uh, as I was preparing this message over the past couple of months or so, uh, I'd gone to this point where I'd, I finished this message. Uh, and then the week before I, I wanted to give it, uh, there's this quote that popped up that wrecked me a little bit. Okay, and I want to share this quote with you. It might wreck you, but it's by a, um, an American Baptist preacher by the name of Benjamin Mays. He was instrumental in the uh, American civil rights uh, movement that happened years and years and years ago. Uh, but this is what he said about life, ready? He said this. He said, the tragedy of life is not found in failure, but look at this, it's found in complacency. The tragedy of life is not in living above your means, but get this, below your capacity. Oof. Now, I've had to give this message multiple times now, and every time I get to this point, I'm like, God, why are you speaking this to me over and over and over again? Because when I look at this quote, uh, this quote is a little bit the story of my life. Um, if you know a little bit about me, my family was here in the first service, but here's a picture of my beautiful family. My wife and I, Julie, she, we've been married for 14 years. Uh, she's an assistant principal at Santa Fe Christian, and she's a boss, okay? She is a boss. Uh, she is the boss, and she is a boss, okay? Uh, but we've been married for 14 years. We got three beautiful kids. Lily's our oldest. She's 11. Bennett is our middle child. He's nine. And then our youngest, Emmy, she is a fireball. Look at that pose. She's like, yeah. She, right? uh, and she's six years old. But this is my beautiful family. Uh, and I relate a lot to my son. Okay. My son is a middle child. Okay. Uh, anyone in here, you're a middle child? Middle child? Cool. My people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I love you. Uh, no one else cheered for us because that's how they treat middle children. Right? Right? They're just like, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I'm a middle child. Right? I, I, I feel it. This is a picture of my family. I have an older brother who's name is Rod, a younger sister named Lene. My mom is Rosalind. My, Nor uh, my Norm, my dad, his name is Norm, okay? Uh, and so this is a picture of our family. And uh, what's cool is at one point in time, all five of us, we worked at Newbreak at the same exact time, right? All five of us, which how many people can say that they have worked with their family and you enjoyed working with your family, okay? Some of you work with your family, you're like, I regret this decision, okay? I loved working with my family, and so people would come up to us all the time and they'd say, man, the Johnson Five, you guys were born to be in ministry. You guys were born into this. To that I say, thank you, I appreciate that. But I also say, if you would have known Jared Johnson 25 years ago, I don't know if you would have said the same thing. Um, uh, many of you knew me, maybe even growing up, uh, we started coming to this church in 1997. It was a church of 100 people, less people that were in this room. Uh, we were meeting up in Santo, up, up there at this little church. We started coming, I was in sixth grade, and uh, I was a, a very, 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 very shy kid. Okay, I didn't talk to anyone. I tell people all the time I was so shy that I, I didn't even talk to my grandparents, okay? I was super shy, really, really introverted. Is anyone in here, you're an introvert? Introvert, okay? Hey, they raised their hands. Good for you guys, wow. <laughs> Usually like, meh, right? Uh, where are the extroverts at? Extroverts? Yeah, they're like, party, good. Um, uh, introvert, and so like, uh, I had this inner conflict all growing up, even getting into college, where the idea of doing new things was super exciting, but also really scary for me. 
I wanted to be the kid who, who played tackle football because my coaches said, you would be good at tackle football. I wanted to play soccer because my coaches said, you would be good at soccer. I wanted to be the one who went to all the summer camps and was on stage and everyone was like, Jared's here. I wanted to go to the birthday parties and people celebrated. I want to hang out with Jared. I wanted to play a musical instrument because everyone in my family was on the worship team and they played a musical instrument. I wanted to do all these things. However, I had these fears inside of me. That I, that I never fully worked through until I got older in life and still kind of wrestle with it. But I have this fear, um, fear of failure and a fear of not being good enough. Uh, and so while I wanted to do all those things, um, I was believing this lie inside of me that I kept telling me. And honestly, I believe it was the enemy telling me this. He said, Jared, um, one, why try anything new? Because no one wants to hear from you anyway. It's a lie I believed. Uh, and because of that lie, um, what did I do? I, I stuck to all the things that, that I was comfortable with. I was good at three things growing up. I was good at baseball. I was good at school. I graduated high school with a 4.1 GPA. And I was good at being a shy introvert. Those were the three things that I was good at. Baseball, school, and being a shy introvert. And so, so that's all I did. I, I never tried anything new because why would I try something new if it's going to make me uncomfortable, if I'm going to mess up? Let's just stick to the things I'm good at. And while on the outset, that's not a bad thing, I, I look back on my life, um, and I really look back, and I realize that I, I got into this place where I was so self-satisfied that I really, I was complacent. I was complacent. And this idea of being complacent really means that you're self-satisfied and you're comfortable with what you've already accomplished. And while on the outside, complacency doesn't seem like a bad deal, um, complacency is a danger zone, friends. In fact, I put it this way, and it's on your outlines. I said it this way, complacency is going to stop all progress in your life. And complacency is going to prevent you from living out God's purpose for your life. I'll read it again. Complacency stops progress, and it will prevent you from living out God's purpose for your life. Putting it another way, complacency should scare the living daylights out of you, friends. In, in every aspect of your life. When you become complacent, it's literally the beginning of the end. When you're complacent in your marriage, it's the beginning of the end. When you're complacent in your parenting, it's the beginning of the end. When you're complacent in your relationships, in your job, in your finances, when you're complacent in your faith, it's the beginning of the end. And the danger is this. You can't tell if you're being complacent on the outside because things are great. However, when you're in this danger zone of complacency, it's hard to be used by God because you just want to do your own thing. And so when it comes to who we are, when it comes to our faith, we have to be able to get to this place where you push past complacency so that you experience God's best for your life. And this is the journey I want to take us on today. How do we push past complacency so we can fully experience God's purpose? How many of you want to experience God's best for your life? You want to experience it? Yeah, of course we do. Okay. So how do we push past complacency? And so uh, I want to take us on a journey today because it's not always easy. Uh, and that journey is going to be looking at uh, one of my favorite characters in scripture. His name is Moses. Everyone say Moses. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, Exodus is really easy to find because it's the second book of the Bible. So you got Genesis and then you got Exodus. And so it's right at the beginning of your Bible. Uh, as you get to Exodus chapter 3, let me just catch you up on, on where we're at with Moses. Okay, Moses, if you know his story, he was born a Hebrew, but he was raised in Egyptian royalty. And he was raised in Egyptian royalty for 40 years. His parents, you may remember, uh, sent him down the Nile River, and then uh, Pharaoh's daughter picked him up and raised him in this Egyptian royalty. And as, as Moses starts to get older, I'm sure he's starting to realize that, that I don't look like the Egyptians. 
However, I do like, look like the people who are in slavery right now because the Hebrews are slaves to Egypt. And so he's looking around, he's going, man, they look a lot like I do. And so he starts to wrestle with a passion that God has given to him, a passion for justice. Um, but he misuses that passion at one point in time because he sees an Egyptian at one point in time beating a Hebrew. And Moses goes, you can't do that. And so what does he do? He goes to the Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand, which by the way, there's a better way to go about justice than that. <laughs> but you can see the passion is there. He buries him in the sand. Pharaoh gets word of this and says, uh, we need to kill Moses. You can't do that to our Egyptian friends. And so he says, go find Moses, kill him. And so what does Moses do? He runs away and he goes to a place called Midian. Everyone say Midian. Midian is where he settles down. He meets his wife. He becomes a shepherd and he's a shepherd for 40 years. Now, God still has a plan for his people who are still uh, in slavery and slavery is getting worse. And he says, I have a plan. I need to rescue my people. And that, that plan involved Moses. And so at this moment, a very famous passage of scripture, God is about to confront Moses in his complacency. Okay, so that's where we're at. So uh, chapter three, verse one, this is what it says. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, which by the way, this is a very famous mountain that you see all throughout scripture. Uh, and so he comes to this, this mountain of God. Verse two, there the angel of the Lord appears to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, well, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush doesn't burn up? Now, a lot of people give Moses flack in this moment because they're like, things are on fire. Why are you running to the fire? What's wrong with you? Run away from the fire. But let's be honest. When you see smoke in the air, what do you tell your spouse? You're like, don't turn left, turn right. We're driving to the fire, honey. We've got to see what's happening and where the ambulance is coming from. And we drive to it, okay? So just know you're like Moses. So don't give him flack, okay, friends? Uh, verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, I love this part, God called to him from within the bush. And so this burning bush starts to talk. Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Verse five, don't come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, taking off your sandals was really the sign of reverence. Uh, when you're in the presence of someone you don't feel worthy to be around or they are higher than you, they could, they could end your life right there. You would take off your sandals. You would bow your neck. You would expose the bow of your, your neck because they could kill you at that moment. Uh, and so you would take this off going, I'm not worthy. And so Moses does this. He takes off his sandals. In verse 6, God says, Moses, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hides his face because he was afraid to look at God. And we're going to continue reading Moses' story as we go throughout this. But God has just confronted Moses really in a moment of complacency. And it, there's a lot of things we can learn from his story, especially when it comes to pushing past complacency. And it's going to start with something that only you can do. Okay, no one in this room can do this for you. You're going to have to do a deep-seated inner work looking at your own life that if you're going to push past complacency, you and I have to identify the areas of our life where maybe, just maybe, you're too comfortable. And this is exactly what complacency is. Complacency is cruise control. I'm good. Everything is good. Life is going just the way I planned on it going. And so we're fine. Cruise control. Moses, he's in cruise control. 
In verse 1, it says that he has been tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And he's been doing this for 40 years. Over and over and over again, he does the same process. He wakes up, he gets the sheep, brings the sheep out to the field. They eat, they neigh, they bath, they go to the bathroom. He takes a nap, he wakes them up, and then he feeds them again. He goes home, kisses his wife goodnight, wake up, wash, rinse, repeat. He does that over and over and over again. For 40 years, Moses has settled for simply just being a shepherd. Now, I'm not saying that being a shepherd is bad, but you have to remember, Moses has a passion for justice that is fueling inside of him. You don't just kill an Egyptian dude for no reason. It was a misuse of his passion for justice. And so it's something in there, and he has ran from it to settle for a comfort zone. Now, we all love comfort zones, do we? How many of you in here, you love your comfort zone? You love it. Yeah, of course we do. And some of you are not raising your hand because you're like, are you about to say something about me? Uh, Yes. Comfort zones are beautiful. Um, But a comfort zone is where all growth dies. All growth. Comfort is, is this saying where, hey, you know what? I don't have to do any more because I've already done enough. Comfort zone doesn't allow you to reach for a higher bar because you have set the bar so low for yourself already. A comfort zone is this thing that leads to complacency. It prevents you from living out your God-given purpose. Comfort we all love, but a comfort is a danger zone. And I have found in my own journey that, that I long to be comfortable. I really do. We're, we're even in the season... Um, as a church, if you didn't know, at our Scripps Ranch campus, we've been having services outside for the last six months. Uh, we are in a season where uh, there's some things we have to work on in our building, and so we're working with the city, and we love our city. It just takes time. Uh, and so we're working with them, and while we're doing that, we have a limited occupancy in our building uh, that's less than the amount of people that we have on Sundays, and so we're like, what do we do? And so we're, we're meeting outside right now. Uh, and so I don't know if you remember, but from February to June, San Diego was not San Diego. It was cold and rainy, and we're like going, what is happening? You guys remember this, okay? Uh, it was cold and rainy, and so we're set up and tear down church outside right now, and we're going, God, what? What are we? Where's San Diego? And then I don't know if you remember, but June to now, it's what? Hot, okay? It's really hot. And so now we're going, I just want to be back inside. I want to be in the air conditioner. We have all the lights. We have everything set up. God, I just want to be inside. And I was talking to our student pastor, Ashley, and we were, we were talking about all of this. And it was funny. We we're like, man, when we go inside, I just want to be in there because we have everything we need. And it'll just make ministry and life easy and really comfortable. And then we both looked at each other and, and we started to laugh. <laughs> because we both recognized what we just said. Do we want life to be comfortable and easy? Yeah, yeah, there's a piece of me that yes. But do we? Do we really? Because once again, comfort is where growth dies. And so we're in this season right now that is uncomfortable (laughs) being outside. It's not easy. Now, granted, we live in San Diego and it's beautiful what we get to do. And so what I'm finding in this season where things are less than ideal, which by the way, when it comes to your circumstances, you cannot choose your circumstances, but you choose how you respond to circumstances. And so when it comes to circumstances that are less than ideal, that are going to push you out of your comfort zone, you have two options. Either one, you press into the tension and then you see God do miracles, or you pull out of the tension to get comfortable and you miss out on God's miracles. There's no in-between. Either you press in or you pull out. 
And, and I'm super proud of our, of, our, of our campus right now. They're deciding we're going to press in to the season. And what we're finding in this moment, which I thought going outside is like, man, people are going to go to different campuses and different churches. What's going to happen? And, and what we're finding is over the last six months, there are more people coming to New Break Scripps Ranch right now than there were a year ago when we were inside our building with all the air conditioning and all the lights and all the things. There's more people coming now, more people getting baptized this year than we've ever had before, more people beginning a relationship with Jesus, more people getting plugged into community and serving. We had a VBS a couple weeks ago where 37 kids began their relationship with Jesus including my daughter, including my daughter. And so I stand back and I, yeah, yeah, you can give God a hand. He's great. And I stand back and I look at all this and I'm going, God, that's not supposed to happen. This is supposed to happen inside the building. Can you get us back in there? And God was super clear with me because I've wrestled with all this. He was super clear and he said, Jared, don't you ever limit me to a room, ever. Don't you ever limit me to a campus. Don't you ever limit me to a building. My power goes beyond the building. He said, Jared, you got to trust me in this. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> it's been a wrestling match. But what I'm finding, you either press in or you pull out. And this goes with our personal life. Like I remember just for me, a super shy kid, right? Uh, as I got into college, uh, once again, we started coming to this campus in 1997. Um, as I got into college, I was good at baseball, good at school, good at being shy. I, I decided, hey, you know what? I think I might want to help in middle school ministry, which by the way, uh, can we give it up for Karen? Karen is, Pastor Karen is awesome in what she does. She's, she's phenomenal uh, with our students. Um, but I was like, hey, I want to get involved in student ministry. And uh, uh, I'm just going to say this. I didn't get involved because I wanted to. I got involved because there was a cute girl who was a leader, right? That's just what happens. I'm just being honest. Then I met my wife later, okay? And then things are better, okay? Uh, but I got into ministry and um, I just wanted to do, and I was kind of helping out here and there. And at one point in time, the youth pastor at the time, uh, he came up to me and he said, hey, Jared, I really think you're going to be a great youth pastor someday. You have the giftings, the ability to do it. I think God's going to use you. Which most people would go, oh, thank you. That is so nice. Yeah, I think I do want to be a youth pastor since you said that. That's not what I did. I went like this. <laughs> I'm not going to do that um, because I was comfortable. Uh, I was working at In-N-Out at the time, which In-N-Out is phenomenal, a great place to work. I was making good money. Uh, I had just bought a 2004 Toyota Tacoma, and I love that thing. I want it back at some day, but I have kids, and so you can't fit them all in the truck, which is fine. Uh, and so I got this Tacoma. Uh, I was making good money. I was buying all the clothes I wanted to make. I was going to college to, to, to get this degree that I wanted. Things were going great. Why would I move from being comfortable to something that I'm not good at? And so I had all of these reasons uh, for me to be comfortable. I didn't want to do it. But the same thing is true with you and I. It's really easy in life. You will never drift towards purpose, but you will always drift towards comfort. Always. In what ways have you settled for a stagnant version of your life? And by the way, you got to do the work. No one, no one here knows you like you know you. You got to do the work. Are there any areas of my life where I've become stagnant? Maybe at my job. You know, all the systems are in place. We're getting a paycheck. Everything's going great. I'm gold. At your home, have you become stagnant there? Hey, my kids don't argue with me. It's nice. We get, we get the paychecks. It's paying the bills. We got the air conditioning. I'm comfortable right now. Things are good. Where have you become stagnant in your faith, friends? 
you may be saying to yourself, well, Jared, how do I know if I become complacent in my faith? Um, you might be complacent in your faith when, when the idea of isolating from Christian community feels great. Because once again, the church is God's model A. The number one thing he's going to use to move his kingdom forward is the church. It's his people. It's not the building. It's the people. And when we isolate from Christian community, we're saying, I can do it better than they can. I'm just going to do it on my own. You might be complacent if you're isolating from Christian community. You might be complacent if serving other people is a burden to you. Other people will do it. I don't need it. You're never more like Jesus than when you serve. If serving is a burden, maybe, just maybe, you're complacent. You might be complacent in your faith when generosity is no longer a sacrifice for you, which, by the way, generosity in and of itself is a sacrifice. It's, it's going to require you to give more time, more talent, more of your treasure, more of your testimony. You're going to have to give more of that than what? Than you're comfortable with. Generosity. And maybe, just maybe, you might be complacent in your faith when your sin doesn't bug you anymore. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. The first time you, you, you mess up, it's, there's this feeling of, gosh, oh God, I'm so sorry. And then the more you do it, it's kind of like, eh, everyone else does it. Dangerous place to be. Wherever you're at, you're not stuck there. God loves you so much. He loves you how you are, but he, he loves you too much for you to settle for a stagnant version of your faith. He wants you to, to come out of that, and there's ways that he does it, but he has to show us something sometimes. He has to show Moses this. Moses has settled, and he has to show him, hey, can I, can I remind you of something that's bigger than yourself? And so keep reading with me in Exodus chapter 3. Go to verse 7 with me. Go to verse 7. Okay, burning bush, God is speaking to him. And this is what God says to him in verse 7. He says, the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. Um, God's concerned about your suffering. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about all that stuff. God is concerned about your suffering, the pain you're going through. He knows that. So verse 8, I want you to highlight, circle, underline verse 8. He says, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and I want to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to take them from slavery to freedom is what God says. Go to verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites it has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10. So now go, Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, uh, when it comes to our complacency, you have to push past the comfort, and we have to be reminded that there's a bigger picture, and we have to, we have to be diligent at focusing on God's vision and his mission for our life. And we hear that and we go, Jared, what are you saying? Focus on God's vision and mission. Focusing means you have to laser focus, narrow in on what is the thing, the reason you're on this planet. Proverbs 29 says that where there is no vision, people perish. Meaning when, when you don't understand why you're on this planet, we just run around doing a bunch of things that are what? Comfortable. It could be nice things, it could be great things, but we miss the vision and the mission. Uh, vision is really this idea, it's the why, why you're on the planet. It's the big picture. Mission is how you accomplish the vision. Uh, for example, here at Newbreak, our vision statement is we want to develop Christ-centered leaders who change their world. 
In other words, we want to develop disciples of Jesus everywhere we go. That's the big picture. That's the why. How do we as Newbreak accomplish that vision? Well, it's our mission. It's going to connect, we're going to connect people with God through authentic relationships to serve communities. That's how we're going to do it. Now, listen, listen to me. If we ever forget the vision and the mission as the church, us, we're no different than the nonprofit down the street doing nice things for people. If we forget it. It's not bad to do nice things for people. We need it. That's not why the church exists. The church exists to bring the kingdom of heaven to people. That's the vision and the mission. I can't help but think that Moses has forgot the vision and the mission. There's a passion burning inside of him. God has to remind him of it. And so he gives him this this vision of why he's here. Verse 8, he says, Moses, I have come down to rescue my people. Vision, big picture. When you look beginning to end from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see a theme. All of us are broken. Y'all are broken. I'm broken. And we have been separated from God. And God's mission, his vision, is to bring us back, to rescue us. He's on a rescue mission to save us. He says, Moses, this is why. This is why. The big picture. How am I going to do this? And here's the mission that he tells Moses. He says, how am I going to accomplish that vision? Guess what, Moses? You. <laughs> Let's bring this into our world. How does God want to accomplish his vision for bringing the kingdom of heaven onto earth? You. Whether you like it or not, this is what he's called all of us to, which means he looks at all of us and he says, I'm not done with you yet. I have more for you than just being a stay-at-home parent. I have more for you than just being a CEO. I have more for you than just being a student. I have more for you. Not that any of those things are bad, but it's understanding that he wants to use us in those spaces to help people see who he is. Why? Because God's not a complacent God. He never has been. He never will be. There's not a point in time where where God looks at at the world and he goes, hey, Newbury Church, I know you guys are, you brought a lot of school supplies. Awesome. I know a lot of people at Sand and all these campuses are coming to know Jesus, but like uh, heaven's full right now. (laughs) There's too many people. It's getting a little crowded. And I know you guys sing the song about how I have a big, big house with lots and lots of room and a big table with lots and lots of food and all those things. However, y'all need to slow down (laughs) because there's too many people here. That's not God's attitude because every one of us is broken. He says, I need to bring everyone into this. And so he has a, he has a, pl- a plan and a passion, a vision, a mission for all of us. And when we hear all of those things, we go, yes, awesome. Yes, that's great. But, but here's, here's my issue sometimes. And I'm not going to speak to you. I'm just going to speak to me. Um, I am a professional excuse giver. I hear all those things. Yeah, Jared, yeah, that's great. I'm a professional excuse giver. And here's what happens. Excuses get in the way of us living out obedience to God. And so we can't, when we're going to push past complacency, you can't allow excuses get in the way of you living with purpose. Moses has a lot of excuses. If you were to keep reading, God says, hey, I need you to go. And then Moses has these multiple excuses. In verse 11, he says, well, God, who am I? (laughs) I'm just a shepherd. You don't want me to go. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, well, what if they don't believe me? Uh, Then what are we going to do? Verse 10, he says, well, I'm also slow of speech and slow of tongue, which what we know about Moses, he probably had a speech impediment. He probably slurred his words a little bit. Maybe he stuttered. He wasn't confident in his words. And he has all these things. He says, man, don't use me. I'm the worst. There's someone else that has to be better. And I look at all these excuses and it's like, man, I, I relate so much to Moses. 
I'm a professional excuse giver. Even as I go back to those words that the youth pastor said to me, hey, Jared, you're going to be a great, great youth pastor someday. While I was living a life that was comfortable, if I'm honest with you, I was playing a lot of excuses in my head as to why I did not want to go that route of being a youth pastor. Uh, multiple excuses. One was, one, like, I'm, I'm not good enough. Two, uh, I don't have the schooling for it. I was going to school to be a, a PE teacher and a coach at San Diego State. So why would I switch everything to go to seminary and do all of those things? I don't have the schooling. And then I, I remember telling him, I said, plus, I'm shy. I'm the introvert. I'm not going to speak in front of a bunch of middle school students because I'm not good at that. Uh, and I had to work through a lot of those excuses. And while I've worked through many of them, I still have excuses today. Um, one that I continue to say to myself is still one that I wrestled with growing up. Uh, and that's the excuse of, well, God, I, I don't know if I can do those things because no one wants to listen to me anyway. And I speak in front of hundreds of people every single weekend. And, and I still wrestle with that excuse in my head. And I'm not saying this so that afterwards all of you come up to me and go, man, Jared, I love listening to you, right? That's not why I'm saying this. I'm not fishing for compliments. I'm just saying I wrestle through all these things. We have all sorts of excuses in our head. And, and so you and I have excuses. You have excuses. But they're just complaints without solutions, your excuses are just reasons for us to be disobedient to the call of God because I want to do it my way. I want to stay comfortable. Excuses are the breeding ground for complacency, friends. Excuses are a dangerous place to be. What excuses are you giving to not follow what God has for you? I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm retired. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough money to do that. I'm divorced. I have a past. Do whatever you want. Name them. God says, cool. I still want to use you. When you look at all the excuses that Moses gives, God, I love every single one of them. God has a response and a solution to all of his excuses. And he has a response and a solution to all of yours. This is what he says to Moses in a nutshell. He says, Moses, I know your excuses, but I, God, am going to give you all the things you need to accomplish the things that I ask you to do. I will give it to you. And Moses goes, well, who am I? I'm not going to do it. I'm just a shepherd. He says, Moses, I'm going to give you everything you need to accomplish what I ask you to do. Well, what if they don't believe me? Moses, I will give you everything you need to accomplish what I ask you to do. But I'm slow. Moses, I have unlimited power. I will give you what you need to accomplish what I ask you to do. And when, when God looks at all of us, whatever our excuses are, he says, I'm going to give you everything you need to accomplish what I ask you to do. Why? Because when it comes to God, God, he does not call the qualified, but he does qualify those he calls. And when you, when you see this, when I first read this, I was like, wait, wait, God, you're a, that's kind of a jerk move. I'm qualified. <laughs> I'm qualified to run my business. I'm qualified to be a parent. I'm qualified to do all that thing. That's not what this quote is talking about. This, talk, this quote is talking about when it comes to building the kingdom of God, guess what? None of us are qualified. None of us. We're all broken. We're all sinners. We all have issues. Like, why, why would he use us? He says, that's the point. Because when I call you, when you become a member of my family, when you're a son, you're a daughter in Jesus, he says, I'm going to give you all the resources and tools you need to accomplish what I ask you to do. Will you trust me? By the way, God is the only one I know who keeps his promises. Why not trust him? But in all of this, in the promises God gives, can it remind us that he cannot force you to say yes. 
He cannot force you to respond. He cannot force you to do any of that stuff. And so at some point in time, there, there has to be a response from us. Same thing with Moses. Moses, I will give you all the things you need to accomplish what I ask you to do. Moses had a response. How did Moses respond to this? I want you to go to chapter 4. I want you to go to verse 18. I want to show us what does Moses do because I think there's a lot we can learn from Moses in this moment. And so in verse 18, look at what, Moses, what happens to Moses. He says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he goes to him and goes, Hey, so I know I've been a shepherd for 40 years, but I'm thinking I just saw something. <laughs> I think I need to go back to Egypt. And remember, Jethro is the priest in Midian. And look at his response. He says, Moses, go. I wish you well. I'm curious if Jethro knew that Moses needed to go back a while ago. And he was waiting for Moses to respond. He didn't want to force him. I'm curious if he knew. But I love that. He sends him off. Go, I wish you well. Verse 19. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. And so Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Once again, God cannot force you to do anything. But at the end of the day, if you're going to push past complacency, at some point in time, you and I actually have to take a step into what God has next. I want you to notice, God does not give Moses step 10. He gives him step one. Go to Egypt. He, he doesn't sit there and go, hey, you know what? Uh, there's going to be 10 plagues when you go back and you're going to perform all these miracles. And at some point in time, Pharaoh's going to let you go. And then you're going to get to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea, you're going you're gonna to hold your hands up and it's going to split. And you guys are going to walk through. And the best part is the Red Sea is going to close on the, right? He doesn't give him any of that stuff. He says, go to Egypt. <laughs> And Moses had, a, had to make a decision. Am I going to take that next step? And so what does he do? He starts back to Egypt. He takes his family. And I can only imagine the nerves and maybe the fear of I have to go back to the people that hated me. What's going to happen? God, you better show up. And for a lot of us, you're about to take a step into something and you're nervous about it and you're scared about it. And maybe you've been longing for more spiritual growth and God, I just want to be used by you, but I don't know what to do. Would you open up all the doors? Would you show me what's going to happen? He might show you, but more often than not, he says, go. And we're waiting for step 10 and we never go anywhere because we haven't taken step one. Go. Will you take step 10 or step one? And whenever you take step one, can I just remind us, um, that step is still not easy. Uh, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's going to cause you to work through some stuff in your own life. And uh, I can even think of like a moment when I was uncomfortable in, in life. And it was back when I was in college. Um, funny story, before we were New Break Church, the college group here was actually called New Break, and we were called Canyon View Christian Fellowship, and then we took the name New Break. Side note, anyway, when I was in college, it was New Break College Group. Uh, my wife and I uh, and the college group, we actually went beach camping uh, down at Carlsbad State Beach. How many of you guys like beach camping? You ever beach camp before? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but we would go to Carlsbad State Beach, and we would set up all of our stuff, and every single day, we'd go down to the beach, and we would play volleyball. Okay, we play volleyball down there, which short guy playing volleyball doesn't work too well. My wife is taller, and she played volleyball all throughout college. So short guy playing volleyball doesn't work, but I had fun. Uh, and so when you play indoor volleyball, you can jump a little bit higher. You kind of slide a little bit further. In beach volleyball, you don't jump as high, and when you dive, it's kind of like a, just a thud, right? Uh, and so I remember this one time, the ball was coming at me, and I had to dive, and I dove to hit the ball up. It went over. I scored a point, by the way, uh, which is great. But what happened next was not. And so I dove and my hand hits the sand, stops, and my body keeps going forward. 
And so my shoulder rolls into my armpit, right? Dislocated shoulder. And I remember laying there and I was yelling and screaming, ah, what's going on? And I get up and my arm was stuck like this. I couldn't do anything. It was stuck like this. And my buddy was not helpful. Um, When I got up, he looked at me and he went, dude, you're all messed up. And I'm like, what? Yes, yes. I I know I'm messed up right now. He's like, you should lay on the ground. Like, great idea, brilliant, right? So I laid on the ground and I was was in pain, man. Um, And then uh, the lifeguard came and we were way far away from a hospital, but the lifeguards eventually came and they come and as I'm laying on the ground, the lifeguard comes up to me and goes, Dude, you're messed up. I'm like, what? Yes. God, fix my arm, right? That's what I wanted. Uh, and so I'm sitting there, and he goes, okay, uh, we call 911. The ambulance is on the way. And I was, as we're waiting, I was in pain. Uh, and I don't know if you're supposed to do this, but to help relieve me of pain, they gave me morphine on the beach, right? I don't, I don't know if that's sanitary, but they did. And once they gave me morphine, it was like, wow, I feel great. <laughs> There's no pain right now. Uh, and so eventually, I, I rode in the ambulance. We got to the hospital. They did x-rays. My arm was dislocated for about an hour and a half, which is not good, right? You're stretching out everything. Uh, But eventually they get to this point where the doctor, in order to put your arm back in place, they just pull your shoulder and they just pull and pull and pull and eventually it goes, right? And it pops back into place and you go, oh, this is the best feeling in the world. Uh, And they said, hey, yeah, a partially torn labrum, all this stuff. Uh, But the most devastating part was they look at me and they said, hey, um, you may not be able to, to throw a baseball ever again. Remember, I'm good at two things, baseball, school, well, three things, baseball, school, and being shy. So I was devastated. What? This is what I do. They also said, if you get older, uh, you may not be able to pick up your kids. I was like, what? And so like all this stuff was going through my head. I'm like, God, what are you doing? Um, and so they said, hey, go through physical therapy. It'll help you. And so went through physical therapy and they gave me one of these. How many guys have seen one of these before? Like, it's like a wet noodle. It's like a weird, kind of weird texture. It's called a TheraBand. Uh, and so I didn't know how to use this thing. I thought it was just a rubber band. And as I went to physical therapy, they started giving you a lot of different exercises to use to, like, to stretch and do stuff. Uh, and so they gave me this one exercise that I should be good while we're in here, but we'll see. Um, but I have to do this thing where you stretch this. Well, let's see. Um, you stretch and you go all the way around. Okay. Ready? So you stretch. No, I'm just kidding. I would, that'd be terrible. That'd be really bad. Dislocated, right? Fall on the ground. Dude, you're messed up. Don't, whatever. Uh, so, so I take this, uh, and I had to do this one over and over again. You go like this, and you stretch, and you go all the way around, right? Yeah. Uh, ooh, ah, right. It's easy, guys. It's easy. All right. And so I had to do this over and over again. And as I found, uh, when you do it, the more you tighten it, the more you stretch, the stronger you would get. Right? And so you would do this thing over and over again. And I had to do it time and time again. And I didn't believe that these things would work. And then I started using it, and I was like, Yo, these things are great, okay? And so I started using it, but here's the deal with this. If it sits on the table, it's not helping me, right? The only way this thing accomplishes the purpose of strengthening me is what? If it's stretched. When it comes to our faith, when it comes to who we are as Christ followers, your true purpose can only be lived out when you're stretched, We love comfort, but growth dies in comfort. When you are stretched, God is saying, watch this, let me use you. And he stretches us and stretches us and stretches us. And so while you cannot control the circumstances, maybe, just maybe, God is more focused on your sanctification than your comfort. He wants to put you in a process to help you become more like him. Jesus was super clear about this. In Luke chapter 9, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, he says, you must give up your own way. What's our own way? 
comfort. <laughs> I love doing things my way. You must give up your own way and do what? You got to take up your cross every single day, which is an act, it's a sacrifice, and then you follow him. But if I'm fully honest with you, if I had it my way, I would still be working at In-N-Out Burger. I'd still be a store manager, and I would be, be making way more money than I make now as a pastor. However, and I'm just saying this for me, I don't think I would have felt fulfilled being a store manager in and out. That's just me. I'm not saying you can't be. Because God had something different for me. Something much different for me. But it required a lot of stretching. For two years, I wrestled with, with the youth pastor saying, Jared, you will be a great youth pastor. It's like, I don't know if I will be. But then I started praying about it. God, is this what you have for me? And so as I prayed about it, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a step. And I took a step. I started getting more involved in the youth ministry that was right here on this campus. Started helping plan certain events uh, and planning different programs. I was a life group leader. And then at one point in time, the youth pastor came up to me and he said, hey, Jared, uh, I need you to speak next week. I'm gonna be on vacation. And I was like, <laughs> you know me, I'm, shy. I'm not speaking in front of people. I don't do that stuff. And he said, too bad, you're the only one here. And so you're gonna have to speak. And it's like, Okay, and I'll tell you what, I was so mad at him. I was like, well, you, you, of any, he was my best friend. Of anyone, you know that I don't like doing this. Why would you make me do this? So I remember driving from in and out all the way to here, and I remember the parking spot, I parked in, in this parking lot right over here, and I sat there and I was fuming. Oh, why is he on vacation? Why is he making me speak? And I remember crying in my car, because I was so terrified about having to speak to a bunch of 12-year-olds. Terrified. Um, and I eventually get out of the car and I, you know, wiped the tears and I went in and, you know, led the group and, and spoke. But man, it was, it was a stretch. And I, I don't ever really want to hear that message because I'm sure it was terrible. <laughs> but, but it was the stretching that mattered. And I was like, okay, great. That was awesome. Went through with it. Uh, started to serve more and more in ministry. At one point in time, Pastor Daryl, who's our missions pastor, he came up to me. He was the campus pastor at our Scripps Ranch campus uh, at the time. And he said, hey, Jared, uh, we want you to be an intern in student ministries at our Scripps Ranch campus. And I was like, but I love this campus. <laughs> well, well, I don't want to go up there. That, uh, plus, I'm not going to be good enough. And I, and I had to stretch, stretch. And he said, Jared, I believe in you. I'm like, okay. So I we went up there. Uh, I started to become an intern. Loved what I got to do. It was great. Two years later, he comes up to me and says, hey, Jared, we have a full-time middle school youth pastor position at our Tirasana campus. You get to go back there, and we want to hire you. And I'm like, but I love Scripps Ranch. <laughs> why, why would I go to Tirasana? Um, and he said, we believe in you. I'm like, okay stretch. And so I came here. I was the middle school pastor at this campus for six years. Eventually became the high school pastor, was the student pastor. And in all of those areas, what I found, like when you stretch yourself, stretching is great, but eventually stretching, um, it, the stretch isn't there anymore. And we get comfortable, even in the things that we're good at. Even if you think you're living in your purpose and your calling, you can still become stagnant in it. And I got super comfortable. Uh, and this is not to brag. I was good at student ministries. I was good at it. Phenomenal. I loved it. Got comfortable. And so in 2015, Pastor Robert, our lead pastor, he actually calls me. He was the campus pastor at our Scripps Ranch campus at the time. He calls me and says, hey, Jared, um, I want you to come to our Scripps Ranch campus again, and I want you to be our campus director. And I was like, but I love being here. <laughs> what are we doing? And this one I wrestled with a lot because here's, here's what I kept saying. Why would you take me away from something I'm good at? Why? 
He said, I believe in you. And so I talked to a bunch of friends and mentors and they said, Jared, I think God has been preparing you for this moment. I think you should go to the Scripps Ranch campus. Okay. Went up there as a campus director for four years and then back in 2020 when none of us knew what we were doing, Pastor Robert, he calls again and says, hey, guess what? You're now going to be the campus pastor at the Scripps Ranch campus. And I was like, but we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> you want me to do that now? And we don't know what we're doing. He said, I believe in you. We're, we'll help you through it. Stretch. Uh, and here's what I would say. The last three years, being a campus pastor, um, with all the stuff that we've been going through, with sinkholes and building stuff, has been the most fun three years of my life. Loved every minute of it. Encouraging, a great team, great people. Um, and I would also say, it's been some of the most difficult three years of my life. Because it's stretching. And he stretches and stretches and stretches. And I'm, and I'm not here to tell you today that I'm just this insecure leader. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I just wrestle with certain things. But every step of the way, here's what I've noticed. Every time God called me to something new, one, I was in a place of complacency. I had to take a step out of it. And he says, Jared, I'm going to give you the tools and resources you need to accomplish what I ask you to do. Will you trust me? <sighs> Got it. And man, while he's stretching me, I, I don't think... Like, I'm ready for him to be done stretching me. I'm ready for that. <laughs> I just don't think he's done. And church, he's not done stretching you either. He's not. It's not going to get easier, the world we live in. But he needs you to be strong. And the reason he chooses us, broken people, because if you can use all of your skills and abilities to get you out of your situation, then you don't need God. Because you're God. And a lot of you are really good in your gifts and your talents and abilities. You can get yourself out of different things. Maybe, just maybe, God puts us in seasons and situations that are beyond our control so that you don't get the glory, but he does. He says, let me show you what I can do. Stretch, stretch, stretch. Let me ask you this question. In what ways is God wanting to stretch you for his purpose, not yours? For his purpose, you're doing kingdom work wherever you are. And once again, no, no one, no one can can show you your complacency. You're going to have to do the deep dive into it and say, "God, I give this to you," and then take a step. Are you willing to be used by God? That's a good place to be. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that as a church, all the campuses that we have, that we would not be okay with just being okay. He wants to use us. So let's pray about this. Father, forgive us for the times, forgive me, <laughs> for the times where I've wanted to do it my way and I've wanted to go back to comfort and wanted to go back to complacency. Father God, I wanted to, to trust in my own ability. God, remind me that the reason sometimes we go through seasons that, that hurt, God, you want to stretch us so that we become more and more like you. God, we want to give up our own way. Every single one of us, we want to give up our own way so that we can follow in your footsteps. God, remind us that while we want to know step 10, you just ask us to take step one. So God, every one of us today, we want to take step one to go. God, show us what it looks like. Work in our hearts. 
God, I pray for anyone who's maybe wrestling with a decision. Should I go this way or that way, God? That one, they bring it to you in prayer. That prayer is not just a, a small response. It's the, the response. So God, we give you our lives. We give you our devotion. Stretch us. Even though that's hard to say. Stretch us, Jesus. Because it's for your glory and your glory alone. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys. God bless you guys. Thank you.